I'm Caddy Dia. I'm Tefra Jemian. Welcome to Yeah, a show where we talk about young adult lit and what it can teach us at any age. This is our book club, and you're invited. Yeah! yeah. talking about uh and we're continuing on our uh our, our classics run through september and uh we are talking about the witch of blackbird 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 pond uh, <laughs> i'm purred happily in this yes written by elizabeth george spear published in 1958 and it's a story that takes us to 17th century new england um so uh, for anyone who listened to last week's episode about little women you can imagine i'm going to have many questions for teffer i will um attempt to answer them my phone died yesterday and frequently during these recordings i do uh furtive googling and then i'll be like yes this is how this is i have no phone today so knowledge is coming out of my brain and uh we'll see it's gonna be great um so this book takes us uh, it tells us the story of uh, kit who is a young girl who grew up in barbados and um, whose grandfather uh, grew up with her grandfather on a plantation, basically. And um, here you show her grandfather dies and then she uh, has no family left there. And there's like some creepy old man who wants to marry her. And then um, she embarks on a journey uh, to Connecticut. And boy, does she get a culture shock um, mm-hmm. because we are in good old Puritan times and it is very interesting so uh the the story kind of kicks off there and then takes us uh into i guess her adventures of discovering uh discovering how to fit in which she doesn't let's just let's just call a spade a spade and um she meets hannah uh a quaker and uh who lives in the forest who's like shunned by the village and uh, befriends her and also befriends this lovely uh this lovely uh what is he he's uh he works on a boat um this guy named nate um <laughs> and uh, they have a bunch of adventures together and uh yeah it's an interesting book mm-hmm. it is well written oh my goodness the language in this book the sentences you can get lost in that writing like it's not even funny um Tefer, you read this book as a kid yeah well this was a fun experience a because i i didn't know i was doing this episode and i actually read the book for fun because i was like well neither caddy nor hannah has read it i think it's maybe something you see more in american schools and possibly yes. even just it was something that my mom had read had a, as a kid and loved and wanted to pass on to us um so what you're saying is that you're a book nerd and big time that's amazing yeah <laughs> that's why we love you uh but i was excited i was excited to hear you and hannah talk about it and like just kind of get like a completely fresh perspective and then scheduling happened and we're doing the other thing but I'm still really excited it was great to read it so I had read it just for fun this Mm -hmm. week because I I was like I want to prepare for the episode like to hear it and I haven't read this book in ages and I want to um and I was so relieved that I I did feel it held up 
Mm. You know, this was a book I loved as a child and, and as a teen. And um, you're right that it's just beautifully written. Yes. Shorter than I remembered. I remembered it being this this enormous sprawling book and it's actually quite tidy. I think it's under 300 pages. Yeah, something like 250. Yeah, but does pack a lot in. Um, I was touched, as, as I always am, by Prudence, the little child who uh, Kit teaches how to read yes. and, and sort of their their little outcasts together more or less um I'm glad that you also liked the writing and you know had a good time with it absolutely I think it's my favorite thing about the book um it there's something about especially as a francophone um so you know coming into English literature much later um there's something really lovely about reading a book and kind of just letting this the the musicality of the sentences wash over you and just kind of also especially in the in the in the young adult sense this is writing that doesn't take the reader for an idiot and uh, I know I keep talking about this all the time but this is advanced reading for a nine to ten year old nine ten eleven even year old uh it it supposes that you know children have a a quality of vocabulary already acquired Mm -hmm. um and i like that and i am someone who will always fight for treating kids like they are brilliant because they are um so i really i got lost in it kind of in the same way in all honesty I feel that way when I read like Jane Austen as well like I'm just like oh yes I think I, the word thither is like I, I don't know that I can even pronounce it well um, but I love that right like it's 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 very I don't know it takes you it takes you it takes you places mm-hmm. um, and there are things that I, I didn't quite enjoy as much mm-hmm. um, I, I had some um so as a person of color, <laughs> reading this book and the biggest, like, I think the biggest shock for Kit uh, when she gets to Connecticut. So the whole thing is that she gets on a boat, goes to Connecticut um, to live with her aunt, uncle and cousins, and uh, they don't know she's coming. So she just kind of like appears. And um, one of the big differences and uh, her biggest culture shock is that there are no slaves to do the work um, because back in Barbados, she and her grandpa uh, had slaves working for them. And she's just kind of like shocked that she needs to do some work. And I get that the book was written in 1958 and that it's set in the 17th century. But 2019, 35-year-old Cat, Caddy also has a moment of like, I don't like that. That doesn't help me connect to the story. That just makes me feel like, oh, all you want me to do is like, I don't know, make you chicken and stuff. Like, I I, I had a hard time connecting with that. Yeah. So that was tough. Um, and then the, her cousins, they're like, they're little pests. The I think, and we spoke about this a little bit in when we talked about Little Women, but there's this whole thing about like the goody goody like good girl who does as she's told and who you know is seen and not heard and who will drop everything for everyone else like too benevolent and all that oh I can't do it um and I know that it's a sign of the times and that's fine but I really hope that 
in this book being very popular, uh, you know, mainly in the U.S., that that it's looked at with a critical eye also um, about that because Kit is like she's a cool character, but she's mm-hmm. a rule breaker. Mm-hmm. And so I definitely had a moment of going like, huh, if she was the hero, like 1958 is not necessarily a time where like nine, 10 year old girls were allowed to be um, wild Mm -hmm. and allowed to break rules. Mm -hmm. Uh, Maybe 10 years later. Yes. But, you know, like I'm guessing those nine, 10 year old girls are the ones who turned into 20 year olds in the summer of love. So that makes uh, maybe a bit more sense. My mom was born in 1950. So, yeah. It would be interesting to to talk with her about some of this. Yeah, for sure. Um, I was really hoping, I was really looking forward to hearing Hannah's thoughts on this because yeah. Hannah thinks and writes a lot about disability mm. and Mercy as a disabled character uh, oh a lot of problems with the way she's written. A lot of yep. problems with the way she's written. Um, a lot. Because I think the sort of like forward, the the place where Spear is trying to be kind of forward thinking, the the preacher prays for mercy in her affliction, yes. and Kit thinks affliction, what affliction? She can get so much done, yeah. and that I think is supposed to be like, woo, I'm being inclusive, but yeah. like there's just there's just a lot. Yeah, there's a lot there. There's, there's a, a lot, lot there. there. That's. Yep. Yeah. Poor Mercy. Yeah. Poor Mercy. Also, that name, mm-hmm. Mercy. Oh, boy. Because I think the other ones, let me pull out Judith. my... Yes. There's there's just... There are some names in here. Do, 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 do. Excuse me. Yeah, Mercy and Judith. Um, there's one, I think it's the, her aunt, like, uh, good woman, goody, like just. Uh, I was just good like, wife, good wife or goody you. is actually um, how you would say Mrs. Uh, at the time. Yeah, yeah. Cool, cool, cool. So cool, I cool, see cool. how that would be wildly confusing. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, it was it was how you would address a married woman. Oh my! Yeah. <laughs> what a title! I know. Good wife. But what if you're a bad wife? <laughs> Which that's my title if it, I ever marry again. <laughs> listen, um, it, it would be a point of pride to be called bad wife. Um, there's a I wanted to talk about the witch hunt because mm-hmm. um, I figured you would probably know more about um, witches being from New England and stuff. Um, but yeah, th- there is this hunger to blame a woman for everything. Um, at some point, uh, so there's a lovely character, Hannah, who is a Quaker, who is shunned from the village, as I said earlier, um, that Kit befriends. And and it's very interesting how at some point there's like an illness that sweeps through the village. And then the mob mentality reaction is just to go like, let's burn Hannah's house down and Hannah too, because she's a witch. Really? Like, is this... Is, was it really that much? Like, it was just like, as soon as something happens, blame a woman, burn her at the stake. More or less, Ooh. yeah, actually. For a certain period of time, it wasn't the longest lived, um, but the witch tri- the Salem witch trials are the big ones, of course, we all hear about the yes. Salem witch trials. I guess I take it for granted that people learn about those in school, because when you go to school in Boston, you learn about those. <laughs> I can uh, so, okay, my knowledge of the Salem witch trials comes from Hocus Pocus. Okay, I have not 
actually seen Hocus Pocus, but I imagine there's some creative liberties taken. I'm sure. <laughs> um, but when they started, let me think. So I'm thinking back to grade five nice. at this point in time. So if I, I get things wrong, <laughs> I may get things wrong. Uh, really interesting, given your earlier comments, though, of reading this as a person of color, because the Salem witch trials start with racism. Yeah. Surprise, As surprise. do many issues in the world. And people fixate on there were teenage girls who yeah. really were the center of that one, but they blamed a black woman in the community who, of course, had her religious and magical practices um, that she did privately. You know, they were her, her private expression of religion, but they weren't the religion of the village and there was I think it was illness I think it was something like measles or scarlet fever one of these very infectious illnesses that kill children and vaccinate your kids (laughs) and um, let's not repeat this Um, I will not be burned because someone decided not to get their child (laughs) vaccinated dagnabbit let it be said so um, I'm, you know, I've read all of the, like he said, she said how it all went down. But basically some people reported that they'd seen these teenage girls doing witchcraft, you know, behaviors that you could imagine a teenager might do. What it seems like kind of from a modern eye looking back is mm-hmm. that they were curious about this woman's spiritual beliefs. They observed either with her consent or without her consent one of her rituals they attempted to replicate it um cultural appropriation is bad yeah it might get you burned at the stake and it just became this hysteria it just became when something goes wrong you want to have somebody to blame um quakers did get blamed a lot of the time, Quakers okay. were a, were a highly persecuted religious minority. Okay, so a uh, little break because uh, I have more questions. Uh, I could have Googled these things, but I also this knew is I was more fun with you. Yeah, it's more <laughs> fun. Um, so, Quakers, highly meditative, very peaceful. Um, yeah, folks versus Puritans. I always sort of had the idea that like one was within the other, and like. They're kind of similar, maybe also because my knowledge of this comes from terrible films. Um, They dress similarly. Black clothes with like a little um, white uh, kind of Mm apron-y situation Mm -hmm. Um, and a bonnet. Mm -hmm. Always a bonnet. I want a bonnet. Yeah. Well, that's the interesting thing with the clothes. I I like that you brought that up. As with so many religious communities that have a dress code. Mm It's simply the clothing of a certain time in a certain place. And I think a lot of the clothes that we associate with Puritans and with Quakers are uh, middle class clothing from um, the Netherlands, mostly around 1600. Okay. So... now I'm going to try to remember back to all of my theology training. <laughs> Again, wishing Hannah was here. I am so pushing you today. It's fun, though. Good. I haven't thought about this in a long time. Right around the turn of the How Do Centuries Work, right around when the 1500s turned into the 1600s, yes. uh, Martin Luther does yes. his thing, nails up his 95 theses. Protestant church starts to split off from the Catholic church. Protestants are seen as heretics, are are really severely persecuted across Europe. Um, a lot of them go to the New World, to the quote-unquote New World, because we know it was always here, to uh, 
to start a new life, yes. um, you know, geographically further <laughs> from this level of persecution. Or should we say colonize? Well, yes, that's <laughs> what they did. Yeah. <laughs> and also, you know, decided to bring Protestant Jesus to um, the people who were already living here and doing just fine without <laughs> colonist Jesus. So some of them were also banished. Okay. Uh, often punishment was banishment to, quote unquote, once again, the colonies. The colonies. Yeah. Um, as often happens with a big explosion of thought, with a big gesture like splitting a church that has historically always been one body into two, yes. um, people disagree on what exactly it means to be not Catholic. Uh, and you get the what we call the Puritans would be kind of the main um, body of Protestants. Okay. Then you get the Anabaptists, who become today's Baptists. So they split over the topic of baptism, whether you should baptize infants or not. Yes. Uh, so the Anabaptists believed people should come to the age of consent before they get baptized. Nowadays, Baptists believe that, but they're real flexible about where the age of consent is, mm -hmm. like four-year-olds yep. can, and I'm... Anyway. Yep. Um, and there's the Quakers. And the Quakers, I personally love Quakerism. I'm okay. very interested in it. I really want to read more about it. Um, Quakerism today looks quite different, uh, obviously, because it's I'm been sure. many hundreds of years. Quakers do not believe in clergy. Mm -hmm. So uh, it's it's kind of like communist Christianity. Oh, so <laughs> you have my full attention. <laughs> um, Yep. So you don't have a pastor. You okay. don't have deacons. You don't have priests. Um, you have the congregation. The way a meeting looks, they call their their um, services meetings, mm -hmm. and uh, nobody. It's very different. You you sit together in silent contemplation, and if you have something to share, you can stand and share it. But it is largely a um, silent meditation. Yes, I have heard about this. Yeah. Um, and there's much less of a concern with the afterlife. So if you know if what you've learned about Puritans is probably there's quite a lot of do good in this life so that you will be rewarded in heaven. Yes. And Quakerism um, is, is much less concerned. Quakerism is kind of like the afterlife. We don't exactly know. That's in the hands of God we have things we need to do here. Mm -hmm. um, so you do good, not so that you can get into heaven, but because it is good to do good. Um, in yeah. some sects of Quakerism, that extends into like kind of a b b obsessive um, focus on perfection. Ooh. And you have people like the Shakers, who I have a great book about, um, who really like with Shakerism, it's like, Everything has to be clean. Everything has to be orderly um, because uh, dirt is of the devil. And there's like a lot. They they get real, like okay. real out there with it. It's cool. It's interesting yeah, to learn sure. about. But like, um, but, but more I, or less, yeah. the, the Cliff's Notes. Sorry, I could talk about this. I could just talk and talk and talk about this. Um, Quakerism, no pastors, yeah. no hierarchy. Love it. You seek God by finding your inner light. So there's a lot of talk about the inner light, that your conscience will lead you. Yeah. Now, of course, as always, there are always some communities where it's you find your inner light, but if your inner light doesn't 
engage doesn't agree with like brother Josiah and brother whoever you're you know not being a good like that happens yeah um but you can see the threat Mm. to a church like Luther's kind of Protestantism the Scottish Covenanters absolutely where hierarchy is very important still they really kept the structure of the Catholic Church and just yeah changed it a little sounds a little non-patriarchal um, it's very uh, men and women are equal i'm yeah. glad you brought that up actually men and women are considered equal yeah. women are allowed to speak in meeting um it makes me think of um the very little that i know about um mysticism like uh, i think it's also the practice of sitting in contemplation and um sort of this 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 search for inner light um god through uh through self i find that really interesting because it reminds me of like sufis and um uh people who follow kabbalah um and things like that where where it really is just a different way of of looking at uh, doctrine and a, and sometimes a rejection of 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 very firm doctrine and just trying to bring it back to the human um, and bringing it back to the holy within the human without holiness being a performance. Although you know, I'm sure that it can kind of slip into that uh, very easily, especially with what you were saying about shakers. So yeah, that's kind of like that's kind of the image that that comes up to me is very much like you know people who are very mindful, people who are are very love driven and mm-hmm. and very uh, wholehearted. Yeah, I guess. Yeah, no, that's absolutely that's absolutely it. I would say I like the parallel you drew to mysticism. I think that fits very well. And as often happens historically, the the mystics are the ones who get um, really persecuted yeah. by. Um, other populations absolutely um quakers were also on the forefront of the abolitionist movement because in the eyes of god all people are equal it's a very important tenet of quakerism sweet please remember black lives matter um (laughs) wow today is our social justice day every day is our social justice day but yes (laughs) that's that's really interesting and kind of places it um and places the story a bit better for me uh because i had some 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 hesitations about Hannah because I find her to be such a lovely maternal figure um, you know who is thoughtful mm-hmm. and who's very kind and I like the the the, the relationship that Kit, Kit builds with her and sort of the importance in taking care of her that that we see throughout the story mm-hmm. huh cool I um I find the character of Hannah really compelling especially because in Christianity one of the mandates that comes up all the time is that you take care of the widows Hmm. you take care of the widows and the orphans you take care of people who can't take care of themselves and you have Hannah who is an old woman alone um, losing her memory you know she has fits of dementia and the people taking care of her are not the religious community they're the people who are outside of that community. They're yes. not the the boatman and Kit and Prudence and you know you got to think about that. Like you got to think about who you are in that scenario, right? Like especially for people who have been in religious communities, are oh. you there for the widows who play by your rules, or are you there for all of them? Ooh, I sort of want to say theological shots fired. Um, but no, I, I absolutely agree with that. And, um, you know, having grown in a, 
I grew up in a family where uh, faith was interesting um, because, you know, my, my parents grew up in a certain religion and rebuilt a family when they immigrated here. And that family included people of all faiths. And uh, I always like to kid around saying that, um, you know, I was born into a left wing Muslim family, but I was also baptized by a rabbi in the sink in the bathroom. So, um, you know, it's nice to see that this idea of taking care of our community um, keeps coming back and and figuring out who is in your community, right? For me, like I grew up going to bar mitzvahs and holy parties and uh, we celebrated Purim and we did all the Muslim holidays and all the, like all of it. Mm-hmm. Everything was an excuse to celebrate and to rejoice and to learn, uh, learn the values of others, but also learn about um, just learn the history, learn the, you know, what does this actually mean uh, to you and what is it that we're actually celebrating? Um, so I like that. And breaking rules around that is real nice. I'm not a big fan of insular communities. So being able to say like, hey, we're going to this place of worship today and mm-hmm. I'm going to dress you up in, uh, you know, in, in traditional garb and I'm going to cook you food and I'm going to share this with you um, and I'm going to take care of you no matter what in as best I can that that speaks volumes to me yeah mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, community you know I was just yeah I was just having a conversation with uh, um, my kids started school this week and with another parent we were just talking about sort of building community and the role of religious communities in in that in taking care of you know people who need to be taken care of and yeah, absolutely you know social obligation and yeah, yeah. nothing <laughs> look nothing yeah. is is all good or all bad anyway so and and you know while i uh, profoundly reject rules uh, of men <laughs> These are, this is actually a quote from my mother who was like, that's why uh, you struggle <laughs> with um, authority sometimes. <laughs> She's like, you were just never okay with religion. And I was like, oh, well, that's what happens. Yeah. Um, but yeah, no, it is, it is interesting to think about the fact that, you know, in Quebec, in the 60s with a very big uh, split of church and state in, for example, mental health uh, care, you know, you take the church out of uh, hospitals and things like that, you lose uh, services for anyone with any type of mental health issue. Mm -hmm. And then what happens, it's okay, like institutions kind of fell apart and then you've got this huge desire to bring people back into the community but with no one sort of supporting it but at the same time religious communities were abusing their power within that anyways so nothing is all good nothing is all bad um but taking care of one another is important Mm -hmm. and the more individualistic we've become the more we realize that it's crucial yeah i think we I just, this whole thing that I just outlined of, like, the Protestants yeah. break off from the Catholic Church, get horribly persecuted. The Protestants start to split into smaller Protestant sects, find the littlest one and horribly persecute them. You know, I mean, really just exactly the same things that the Catholics were doing to Protestant communities in Europe. Protestant communities were doing to um, the heretics, you know, in in, in uh, North America. And, 
But I, I think there's also something powerful in the other direction. You know, we yep. can see, okay, people have a drive to, um, I guess, really bond through picking out a, a weak sheep, you know, and kicking them. There's a social bonding there. Yes. At the same time, people also have this drive to help that weak sheep and create community around that. And you do see that in this book even, in, uh-huh. in which of Blackbird Pond, you have Kit and Hannah and Prudence who are on the outside of the community. You have Nat also who is kind of in between communities because he mostly lives on his ship. Yes. And they don't just kind of hunker down and ignore each other and live in misery. They find each other. That's true. And they create their own community. That's true. The other thing that I really like is that Kit ultimately decides that she can't stay in Connecticut. That, I think, is something we don't often see at the end of the story. I completely agree. Uh, That is, it's huge. Mm -hmm. And especially, even in 1958, it's huge, right? Like, she she tried it. This is not for me. This is not okay. I'm going to take care of myself and go back and try to figure something else Mm -hmm. out. Um, I find that really, really powerful. And this desire to also, like, help others within that moment is, is... is quite beautiful mm-hmm. yeah making sure trying to find your place mm-hmm. i think that like looking at community within that uh in that frame as well is does this community like do i serve my community but does my community serve me mm-hmm. um and that's an interesting reflection to have uh in reading this book yeah totally. we can think of course about privilege in oh. regards to that decision though and in that kit has always been uh, enor- enormously privileged yes. right? not only has she always had all the money that mm-hmm. she could possibly wish for and a comfortable house she also as you mentioned before has this blithe assumption that there's a whole bunch of people who just exist to serve her Yes, um, and she to an extent I mean I have to think of her in the context of that privilege yeah. of you know would Judith be able to say this community isn't serving me and strike out would she have been taught that kind of confidence would she have been given that kind of support Kit really believes that she can just like go back to Barbados and work something out and that is a confidence that comes from privilege yep I mean there are people who have more or less of that innate confidence but if you have lived your life in survival mode depending very heavily on others for support it is much harder to leave the community um that is such a beautiful way to talk about privilege i find that really um nice and relatable because i've been finding recently that um i have made the decision to no longer educate uh people on what privilege is um, i tend to tell them like just do a google also I'm not doing that work for you um but i find that the way that you framed it is so um clear and poetic and being able to explain exactly what that is to be able to face the world with that kind of confidence means that perhaps you haven't faced the same hardships as others um and yeah that's that's quite nice but at the same time like yeah it's a it's a book for children yeah um you know we wanted to to to, to be nice and fluffy but mm-hmm. this book actually doesn't shy away from the from from the ugliness mm-hmm. of people 
mm-hmm. um, including Judith. <laughs> and um, yeah, it's and the the mob mentality. I think that mob scene kind of uh, took me back because you know I'm, we live in a really uncomfortable political climate all over the world, and uh, you know you kind of go like it's hard sometimes to remember how much a mob can simply just like with one spark create a bonfire you know and just go completely off the rails so yeah yeah i forgot where i was going with that no it's true it's um it's a scene i'm so familiar with because i did grow up hearing so much about the witch trials (laughs) but it's it's really interesting to consider it again and to really think about that it's true yeah um but then i also think about you know if you live in a community where um, children are dying, there's some mysterious illness going around and maybe your kid just died and your neighbor's kid just died and you don't understand how illness works and in your mind plague is either judgment from God or it is work of the devil. Mm. It's a lot easier to imagine that it's the work of the devil than to imagine that God is so mad at you that God would kill your child, right? Ooh, I had never thought about it that way. Huh. Um, oh, that's some good food for thought. Okay. That's. I mean, it's just... Uh, but, I mean, not toxic theology in, hurts yeah. everybody. Absolutely. Like, absolutely. <laughs> um, yeah, I'm, I'm fine. I'm in contact with a lot of people who call themselves ex-evangelical. There's this movement mm. on Twitter of people who have left the uh, evangelical church and who I, I am sort of in that group, but I don't share the same experience as most of those people because I had a different life. Life. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, but uh, th- this is bringing up a lot of those thoughts of just like the privilege thing and the, the, the choices you make when you're faced with a very binary moral system hmm. and don't have the full education. Yeah. And we can think about maybe the areas in which we're um, ignorant enough and I say that, I say ignorant, like, not as a judgmental word, but just all of us have areas that we don't know about. Absolutely. Um, and, like, remember that when you start to go into some kind of moral panic, you know? Yeah, which is yeah. why I, I uh, yeah, which is why I was happy that we were going to have this chat today, because just like last week, it's this idea of, like, hmm, I did not grow up in a context where this is a reality. So it's nice to hear also... The background that comes along with it. I should be clear, I did not grow up with witch hunts. <laughs> oh, well, now I'm disappointed, <laughs> to be honest. Those, 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 I mean, at least not in the way depicted in the book. They don't still happen in Massachusetts. Yes, no, we're, we're, we're done with those. Everyone is fine. Unless you watch, what is that show with vampires? The Vampire Diaries that happens in Salem. And mm. there's witches and vampires mm-hmm. and probably some yeah. other weird creature um, I, was, I was about to to go for a minute into you know the other ways that we kill people in state sanctioned ways but <laughs> and the and the school to prison pipeline um, maybe some of that maybe, maybe some of why do cops have guns hey um, now great question why are we putting children in cages we don't know, you know and yeah, yep, stop yep, doing it yep, um yeah yep, adults yep. also let's hey no more none of this yep Oh, there's some anger in us today. <laughs> I kind of like it. Um, when Teffer and I sat down today, we were like, oh, we're both a little bit tired. But uh, um, deep down inside, there's a little rage yeah, there. there's a little rage there. Um, maybe to assuage it, 
Let's talk about love. Yes. Let's talk about love. Because while this is the story of an adventurous young lady uh, who is, let's let's use the word ballsy, um, or like maybe um, ovary-y. Um, you good? I just, I learned a thing about when they discovered ovaries. <gasps> I learned that when they discovered ovaries, when some people discovered ovaries, I don't know when ovaries were discovered, but like mm-hmm. discovered ovaries and these surgeons got really nervous because they thought they were little balls <laughs> they were little testicles and they were like well we can't let women find out they have balls like like what will they do if they find out they have testicles and they get empowered we'll peg you <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry that was inappropriate <laughs> Uh, I told myself I need to be better behaved. <laughs> um, Didn't see that coming. Yeah. Woo, there it is. Neither did they. <laughs> All, right. All right. Okay. So, um, so she's got some kind of balls. Yeah, she's yeah. got some kind of balls, but like obviously they're boys. And um, the first boy that she meets. He falls for her because she's like wild and woolly and not from Connecticut. Um, I don't know why that got British, but um, yeah, it's uh, William who is mm-hmm. actually Judith's betrothed, um, and he is all like, "Hey, Judith, get out of the way. Your cousin, much more my type." Kit's like, "Not into you, not into you," which obviously makes makes William be like, "I want you even more." Yeah. Um, and that all changes when um, she Kit meets Nat. Uh, Nat, who is the nephew, I think, of the captain of the dolphin or something like yeah, that. Yeah, I want to clarify the timeline just a little bit. Yes. Because we're getting a little bit. I'm sorry. I've just, I've read this book so many times. She actually knows Nat at the beginning of the book. So Nat is on her book, on her ship, on the way over from Barbados. Yeah. She also meets John Holbrook on the ship. And John Holbrook, she sees and she's like, he's kind of hot. He reads books. Mm -hmm. He's like, hmm, interested in this guy. Gonna keep an eye on this guy. Gets to Connecticut, meets William. William is immediately smitten with her. She's kind of like, what did I do? I don't understand. I'm not super interested in this guy. But also John is getting kind of boring because he's like gotten really into this one minister who's really into this theology that Kit's yes. very not into because Kit's not a Puritan and et cetera, et cetera. Then. Thank you. Yeah. But then Kit re-meets Nat. She re-meets Nat yeah. um, when she's uh, out in the boonies hanging out with Hannah. Um, and, and he's like chopping wood. Yes. Yeah. And he's helping. And she's like, oh, you are good and fine and you can sail a boat. Damn. Um, and Nat also falls in love with Kit, which is which is real cute. It's yeah. It's they they have a really cute love story. Let's, I, just, oh, let's just call it. I mean, that's what brings me back to the book, right? <laughs> you know, I'm not gonna read this book dozens of times if it's it doesn't have that. It's not for the beautiful that. vocabulary. Well, it's some of that, but it's really <laughs> for the boys. Fair, yeah. Um, yeah. So it's really sweet love story. Um, and I can imagine. Myself at like yeah that that like first crush age like nine ten, sort of reading this and really, probably also being smitten by Nat, because he's he's a nice guy. 
He is a nice guy. Yeah, he's a and, good guy. Um, okay, so uh, the book was written in 1958. So, like, really, if you haven't read it, it's cool. Um, we're going to spoil it. Um, at the end of the book, when he comes back with his ship named after Kit, it's named The Witch. No. I was like, oh, come on on this is like i was reading it and i was like getting all flustered because i was like this is so cheesy it is right up my alley so good and she's like permission to come aboard and he's like no no first i must get permission to marry you and i was like oh it's so good and then i threw up a whole lot because i was like this is too smarmy (laughs) but it was also really satisfying yeah. that she gets to end up with like a nice guy. And everybody ends up with someone who works yes. for them, which is so nice. Like I I do think the romances are the crowning glory of this book. Fair. Like you have Judith and William who are just so meant to be from the beginning. And I love all the scenes when William comes over to visit Kit and Kit just gets bored out of her mind and Judith is like engaging with William and like asking questions and like clearly actually interested and Kit's just like he never talks and Mm. Judith is like no he doesn't talk to you because you don't engage with him Mm -hmm. at all. Mm -hmm. Um, And I love the little touch of like because Judith is the one who engages with him about this house he's building, he ends up building her dream home, right? Yes. Which is just yes, so that's, fun. That's cute. Um, and then there's Mercy and John. Yes. Who the kind boring. of get... Well, oh, would you? I was going to well, say no, that I think they get the most, like, interesting, dramatic romance in the oh, book. Say more. So... One thing I tweeted this week is that my absolute favorite romances are the, like, slow-burning, angsty ones that last for years. Like, my favorite Austin book is Emma. Oh, Um, God. (laughs) I just ignore the age difference. And, um... (laughs) Okay. So, I like Mercy and John because, like... They're both so shy. They're so awkward. They're so keen to do everything right for everybody else that John ends up courting Mercy's sister by accident because Judith has a crush on him and is like, well, obviously he wants to be with me because she doesn't imagine that anybody would like Mercy because she's kind of a brat. And um, Mercy, being shy and retiring and like, oh, well, why would anybody like me? Just kind of doesn't say anything about it. And then finally... John goes away for a while. There's some, you know, mm, stuff about the, the, the Indian raids and stuff like that, but which is, mm, but, <laughs> um, I'm reading Little House on the Prairie right now with my kid and I'm just oh. skipping chunks everywhere. Yes. Um, but then John has gone missing for a long time. He's been lost and he stumbles to their house he knocks on the door and they open the door and you know he's starved he's gaunt he's caked in mud and he just stumbles across the house and puts his head in mercy's lap and that is (sighs) yeah it's adorable yeah i love it and then like i also like (laughs) mercy's dad in kind of a dick move is like you know she can never be a real wife to you and do the things that a wife does and like keep house and John is just like yeah so I I love her I want to be married to her 
do you have any other objections? You know? It is. Yeah. It, it is very. It, it's very sweet. I call them the Borings because I think I just like pictured their life on the daily, and they seem like two people who would lead a boring life, but like a happy life. But a boring. Life. See, to me, William and Judith are much more that. Oh yeah, I think it's just you like know? I imagine slapping them with like a dead fish or something. Like I just they're <laughs> not uh, Judith is a character like look, she is a spoiled brat. Yeah. She is uh you know, she thinks she is hot everything. Yeah. She like she just is the typical petulant um holier than thou little girl and I can't I don't like that. Yeah. Um, in a character, and I tend to wish for those characters' demise secretly. Well, n- not anymore, uh, secretly. But um, yeah. So when I like, I just I sort of push them aside in mm. my mind, and I'm like, oh, oh, I'm gonna be a little mean, but like they're like, you know, those people who meet in high school and like they're super happy and in love and making out everywhere and like but like their relationship peaks in high school but they stay together forever and then like you see them x number of years later and you're just like oh boy and they look at each other with a bit of contempt but like they were and like they like to reminisce of the good old days as a like that is sort of how I think of Judith and William. Whereas I see John and Mercy just as like grad students. Fair. You know? They're just like they're just like the couple you know who like they're super academic. They don't go out much. They They have a cat. Yeah, Yeah. they have a bunch of houseplants. Yeah. Nobody really gets them, but like they get each other. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Yeah. They don't have like these big passionate moments. They just like they're on simmer all the time. Yeah. I would say John stumbling in and going straight to Mercy is a big passionate moment. Oh, um, sure. Um, to me, that is. No, I get it. For me, that I get is. it. I get yeah. it. I get it. It's emotionally passionate. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, you mean they don't have good sex? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I don't know. It's always the quiet ones. Yeah. Sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> I think you have more expertise in this than I do. Uh, yeah. So. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I meant because you studied. Uh, no, I know. I know. I know, but the discomfort in your face was worth it. No! Because <laughs> you had this moment of like, oh no, I said the wrong thing. No, no, I'm not trying to judge Caddy's lifestyle. I, I can know. talk about Quakers and Caddy can talk about fucking. I mean, I can. <laughs> should we leave this in? I don't know if we should. I think, look, we're talking about a book that happens in like 16 16- blah and like yeah. that is was written in 1958 or in 2019 we are progressive humans um mm-hmm. we have a lot of values that <laughs> do not fit with the book i think it's all right for a bit of cheese to I, to be all right but i feel I like i can judge it probably in this time and place everybody was too tired to have sex most of the time Oh, that's a really, really interesting point because they were doing a whole lot of manual labor yeah. and cooking and yeah. picking stuff. And yeah. Yep. I don't know. I mean, like I have like I find a 10 month old baby pretty much that exhausting, you know, and they were having a 10 month old baby and also like garden yeah. or you will die. OK, so here's my question about Puritans and sex. 
<laughs> oh, you have no idea how well, how ready I am. Okay, for this. cool. I was me. like, I have Ask a feeling me. that you probably know these things. Yeah. Are the Puritans of the folks who like have a sheet with a single hole, or are they like potential passionate lovemakers? I think the sheet with a whole thing is a myth. Uh, maybe, maybe not. Somebody yeah, correct me because I would love it if it was true. Because yeah. I think that's hilarious. But so there's always. Uh, what you are taught and what you in fact do yes and wide wide variety from couple to couple right um obviously no sex before marriage that's a very strict thing sodomy is a really interesting term because sodomy now just means anal sex and sodomy did not mean anal sex back in the day it meant anything apart from church sanctioned sexual relationships yes. so not only heterosexual, not only within marriage, um, but also only in certain positions, yes. also on only on certain days. Yes. Um, yeah, always missionary. Mm-hmm. Judith got, or not Judith, Lilith got kicked out for I was like, having Judith. No, no, no. Judith, there was no sex in this book. <laughs> Judith as a biblical character is uh, fascinating, but uh, Lilith in some, I think Lilith is in the Apocrypha, so not as Puritans, because Puritans reject the Apocrypha, but the idea is that Lilith didn't get to be Adam's wife because she wanted to have sex, cowgirl. Hey! And women can't be on top. <sighs> so there's a lot of, like, significance in certain positions and certain acts, and okay. but, like, you can still do a lot with it. Yeah. So, like, I think it's perfectly possible that there were plenty of Puritans. Perfectly possible that there were plenty of Puritans who had um, fulfilling active sex lives. That was a beautiful yeah. alliteration and explanation. <laughs> and you do. I mean, you see Puritans who had like twelve children, right? That doesn't come out of nothing. It doesn't you come have out the, of nothing. Yeah. However, it doesn't mean it's good. It doesn't mean that it's good because when you think um, from a sexological standpoint, um, pleasure is not a notion that is discussed. Yeah. Um, the idea of enjoying sex and working on sex in order to um, find something that is optimal for all partners involved. Um, people are always shocked yeah. uh, at the fact that like, oh, I'm allowed to like, you know, there's very there's still very much this expectation that sex heterosexual sex uh you know culminates with uh, male ejaculation and that is it um so you know when you talk about orgasm with uh people who have heterosexual sex you know there are a lot of people who expect either whatever they saw in porn so like screaming tearing curtains down the walls etc um and then there are people who are like yeah well it looks like it hurts so it's supposed to hurt yeah. so if it hurts me it's because i'm doing it right um so there's a whew, we need to do some education around pleasure i really want to talk with you about this more um i would say as with people in general centering mutual pleasure is something you either luck out like and you're a couple who both value it just kind of organically or it has to be taught and there wasn't much teaching of that shall we say there still isn't let's be honest (laughs) if we're talking about were there puritan sexologists no i don't think so alas it was probably like some dude at a meeting. <laughs> no, that's Quakers. Sorry. Um, Puritans. It was probably a pastor, reverend, wizard. 
chief. I don't know. Some people weren't allowed to read this book of the Song of Solomon, which is kind of the best sexy book in the Bible. Okay. Although there's some weird stuff in Ezekiel. I mean, uh, I kind of want to quote some Pulp Fiction, but um, <laughs> <yep>. <laughs> wow, this got out of hand, folks. We've been doing this for a long time. Wow, Quakerism, sexology. What else did we cover? We covered so much. Witches. Witches. Uh, yes. Quakerism, yeah. sexology, yeah. witches, and um, everything else that kind of came up. And uh, I enjoyed myself. So um, thanks for listening to Yeah. If you want to leave feedback, suggest a book for us to read, or just say hi, please say hi. Uh, send us an email at theyapodcast.gmail.com. You can follow us on Twitter at yapodcast, and individually, I'm at tefferbear. And I'm at caddy double underscore d. Um, if you like the show and want to help make us uh, want to help us make it even better, please consider supporting us on Patreon. You can get all kinds of great perks, including early access to bonus content, shoutouts, guest appearances, and more. Head to Patreon.com/slash/YeahPodcast to donate. Shout out to our patrons: Catherine Resch, Erica Stuchberry. Thank you. Kat McGuire, Lizzie Ten Hove, Chantal Thomas, Matt, and Matt Dever. Um, yeah. Uh, Dever. Dever? He's a new one. Sorry. Matt Dever. Sorry, okay. Matt. Yeah. Oh, it's my turn. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, this is a very long pause. <clears throat> we have merch. Hit the merch link in the description of this episode to get some from the fine folks over at T Public. But not get some. They'll center mutual pleasure there you go purchase. get consent um <laughs> you can also support us for free by leaving a rating and review on stitcher or apple podcast and by sharing this episode with a friend perhaps someone who has some simmering rage lingering <laughs> down inside i got that rage 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 down in my heart where down in my heart where down in my heart <laughs> <laughs> Special thanks to Great Bear for letting us use their song, Jenny's Groove, as our theme music. You can find their music for sale at greatbearmusic.bandcamp.com. This episode was produced by Tepera Jemian and edited by Tom Zalat and I as part of the Upford Network. You can find out about all the great shows on our network at upfordnetwork.com. Hi everyone, I am Hughes the Younger. And I'm Hughes the Elder. We also go by Nick and Jim respectively. We are the father-son duo and the co-hosts of Canada's Young Leaders. CYL is a podcast that Nicholas and I put together and bring out every week. We interview a really exciting special person. We take a lot of time to find them and they bring to you new ideas and new messages that we think you'll find interesting. We are really trying to push the dialogue forward, introduce our listeners to big ideas in realms of immigration, indigenous reconciliation, climate change. Ultimately, we want to push Canada forward on these issues and really create a better country for all of us. So please tune in. We release episodes every Monday and you can find us on the Upford Network. Hey, I'm Aaron Lakoff, host of Changing on the Fly, a brand new podcast on the Upford Network. Changing on the Fly is a podcast that dives deep into the intersections between hockey and social justice. We take on issues of sexism, racism, and homophobia on the ice. 
You'll hear from athletes, activists, fans, scholars, and even musicians who love hockey but want to keep the jerks out of the game. Think Colin Kaepernick or Serena Williams, but with skates and less teeth. It's your perfect antidote to Don Cherry and Coach's Corner. Hey, Don, what do you think of changing on the fly? Not the left-wing, pinkle media, bleeding hearts, guys. What are you, nuts? Anyways, you can find Changing on the Fly wherever you get your podcasts or visit us online at changingontheflypodcast.wordpress.com.